Every once in a while, I find that it's really helpful to take a step back and really look at the big picture in terms of what is so beneficial about mindfulness practice and mindful coping practice and why does someone actually want to undertake a practice like this and sustain it over the long term. And this week I found that I didn't really necessarily set out to ask this question. Uh, It wasn't like it just occurred to me. It was more along the lines of I have experienced this week a lot of what I'd refer to as I guess what people would call these as emotional ups and downs. And there have been plenty of times this week where I guess what I would describe this, sometimes it's hard to really describe how we feel in words because I think sometimes at some point in my, at least in my experience, that uh, they words fail me in some cases. But I would say that the easiest way to convey this in a way that I hope it gets the point across in the most effective way is that This was one of those weeks where there were numerous times where, for different reasons, I found myself not feeling good. And that was basically a combination of not feeling, you know, not feeling well physically in some cases, you know, in terms of energy levels, in terms of just my emotional weather, and just really how I was feeling about life overall. I had no real concrete reason for not feeling good about things. I just find that at least in my own experience, there are times when we are just going through stuff and we're processing things and we're, as they refer to in terms of healing, as we're clearing things, energetically speaking. And sometimes it's not always going to be, you know, feeling, it's not always going to be about feeling great. Now, I'm not saying that's for everyone. I realize there are some people who maybe do feel good and feel great most, if not all of the time. I just don't happen to be one of those people. And I think it's really what I find is there's no particular reason for this in some cases. It's just what my experience has been of being human. And I realize that is just one unique uh, experience or viewpoint among many. And so what I have found over the years is that when I started practicing mindfulness, it was really the idea of why I started that. And it's only because it's not really that it's because of that, that that's really important because of why I started, but it's really the only thing that I can speak to in terms of what brought me to the practice and what I have found since that time that in my case, it was a matter of dealing with a lot of chronic depression, uh, you know, dealing with that over the long term, not so much with a lot of it, but a lot of the, what I'd refer to as the symptoms of that. There were a lot of times where I found myself not feeling good about life or not feeling good about myself for a lot of different reasons. And in terms of coping overall, I found that my reaction to those feelings and those thoughts about those feelings that were taking place was really getting in the way of me living a joyful life. It was really getting in the way of me living in a way that really fed, you know, fed my energy and that brought me joy and gave me a sense of peace and well-being. And what I found was is that when I started mindfulness practice, I was really looking for something just to help alleviate the suffering that was coming from my own thoughts. I didn't know for sure at the time 
but I had some inkling of an idea that it was really what was really, I didn't necessarily know it concretely, but I had some sense that it was my thinking that was causing me trouble. And I think if anything, when I started, I can't remember exactly what the idea was or what the motivation was other than I was just tired of suffering from my own internal reactions and with my habitual thought processes and my, my way, you know, my, uh, the way I process things mentally. And I was really, if anything, it, the best that I can re- recollect because it has been so many years ago is that I was really just trying to alleviate the suffering, trying to transcend it. And that's what I found is that even if that's what brings us to mindfulness practice, we want to try to transcend or rise above these everyday human struggles, all these thoughts that besiege us in different ways and that can cause us difficulties because we're reacting to them. And it's only because I'm believing what it is that I'm thinking about what I'm feeling. And so this week I realized I had an opportunity because of the fact that I was having to rely on the practice probably more than I usually do in any given week. It was just one of those weeks where I really had to keep working to come back to center. And what I mean by that is I had to come back and return to the practice. I would catch myself in the act of thinking something about something that I was feeling that was not necessarily always what I'd refer to as positive. Uh, Sometimes it just, it just, I guess what I'd say is this week, it just didn't feel good to be me. And so because of that, what I found was, is that I needed to remind myself to return back to the practice over and over again, because I know that I've tried a lot of other things and nothing really has worked there. And even with mindfulness practice, it is not a magic bullet. It's not a guarantee that it's going to make everything better. But what it is going to do, and why I keep returning back to it, and I do really want to emphasize that this is a choice that we're, you know, that I'm constantly making, and it is, and and really it's twofold. And this is anyone that decides to practice mindfulness practice or any sort of meditative practice that's related to this is we make an initial decision to undertake the practice and it is some form of meditation whether it's on our breath whether it's on paying attention to the thoughts that we're having whatever it is it is something that really allows us to pay attention to those thoughts or in some cases to pay attention to something else besides the thoughts and that's really what it boils down to is is and that there is no I can't say that there is any particular best way for someone to do this. It's really a matter of trying to find what works best for each person. So I make that choice to undertake the practice, and then I have to, not have to, but if I want to to cope more effectively, if I want to utilize this practice in a way that allows me to deal more positively with what I'm thinking about what I'm feeling and how I'm reacting internally, that I want to continue to keep making the choice to practice. And by doing that, it's really one of two ways. There is the initially, especially in the early stages of a practice, we essentially set aside time and we either sit quietly in any, you know, whatever, whatever way is most comfortable to us or engage in some sort of repetitive meditative action and just 
immerse ourselves in it and realizing that we can't really control the experience. You know, we may bring someone, we may bring ourselves to the practice in a way where maybe we really are, our minds are racing or we're feeling disturbed about something. And the most important thing I would say is that I don't ever want a person definitely, if they really are feeling called to or, or the pull to doing this type of practice, to not hesitate to utilize this practice when things don't feel good. And when it feels like all is lost, when it feels like things are just not going our way, it's the hardest time to return back to the practice. But the reason why I I have found that I have to make that choice to continue to keep setting aside time to practice. And what I didn't realize at at the time when I started the practice, and especially in my early years of this, was that by making that choice to undertake the practice on a daily basis or on a regular basis, I was also facilitating my learning the ability to return to the practice even when I'm on my feet in the middle of life while it's happening. And then that what what I mean by that is that it is it is we don't always have the luxury of being able to stop what we're doing and retire and move away from it temporarily and take a break, so to speak, and be able to sit quietly and undertake whatever type of meditative practice we're doing. And so what I found was that it was very surprising to me that the more I practiced it when I did have time, when I did sit still and and quietly watch my thoughts and witness them and in the most impartial way that I possibly could and still do that, It is so that I can automatically, when I'm out in the middle of life, when I don't have the luxury of stopping and taking a time out, so to speak, and uh, retreating some from the situation at hand, that I've got an opportunity to be able to still be what I call mindful on my feet. I may not be able to stop everything that I'm doing, but what I can do is is realize I can read what I call return back to center. And that is all I really have to do to do that is just remember to be aware of my thoughts and that whatever it is that I'm thinking is not always the truth. And in most cases, I generally find that it's not the absolute truth. And if I can just separate and just get a little bit of headspace, a little bit of room between myself as the thinker of these thoughts, believing everything that I'm thinking, to just changing the paradigm even a little bit, to change my consciousness even just a little bit, to where I am actually realizing, okay, I'm having these thoughts, I'm reacting to things that people are doing or saying to me, or maybe they're not doing the things I do expect them to do, that it's the, where, you know, where I am suffering, where the struggle is, if there is any, is in the fact that I, you know, it's where I, it's, it's where my head is at. It's what's happening between my ears. And that if I can just allow myself a little bit of headspace to realize that I'm having these thoughts and it doesn't feel good sometimes to have the thoughts that we're having. And a lot of cases, what I find is if I'm already not feeling good for some reason in my body or in my mind or the, or the, or the connection between the two, if something physically doesn't feel good or feel right, so to speak, even though in this case, I'm not really talking about there, there really is no right or wrong, but if for whatever reason, I'm just not feeling as well as I usually do. And I, I will find that a lot of where the, the pain is coming from 
And this is, you know, there again, this is assuming that there is no physical pain, that I'm not suffering with any sort of physical malady of any kind, because then that's a whole other, uh, that's a whole other situation. And then it's really our thoughts about what we're feeling physically, the pain that we're feeling that can really allow us to either, you know, if to, if we're believing everything that we're thinking about it and speculating about how long it will last and what's causing it and why, uh, I'm going to make things much more difficult for myself. And if I'm just not feeling good about life for whatever reason, or if things have not been going my way, so to speak, it is all of my thoughts about what is happening that really, really cause the suffering. Because if I can just be where I am in life, where it's happening right now, even if I don't like it, even if it's not going the way that I wish that it would, I begin to realize that however I wish that it would go is just another thought. Any expectations that I have are, is just really, it's another, it's another thought. It's another way of thinking about my own life experience. I'm reflecting on it through thoughts. And the more that I am invested in those thoughts, the more that I'm identifying as the person, whatever identity I'm creating for myself, because I've realized that the more I think and invest energy and time in these thoughts that I have, I'm clearly creating an identity of some sort. I am the person that this is happening to or that's happening to. And I'm not saying that the idea here is to to get to a point where we have no identity. I think it's really the opposite of that. I think what really, for me, has been so healing and what has allowed me to suffer less has been to realize that it's the fact that I have chosen to create an identity. I don't need to erase it. Uh, and what I really found is the more I try to get rid of any identity, then I'm really just focused on this identity again. And any, any thought, any sort of energy that I put into these thoughts or notions about it is just really continuing the illusion for me that I'm continuing to believe that this is who I am and this is what is happening to me. And so it's really about something, it's this practice is something that is ongoing. And what I find is that it may not, at first, it may not be possible to always be able to be, you know, be a disinterested third party and witness these thoughts. And I will encourage anyone that is continuing this practice or is in the early stages of this, that while it is not easy to do that, sometimes it can be so easy and so tempting to completely identify with the thoughts that we're having. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with us. This is very normal and very human. And it's just a habit. It's a habit of mind. And that the more that I can come back to center, and what I mean by that is that the more that I just return back to being aware of the thoughts that I'm having and that I'm having them. And that's the most amazing thing to me is that as a human being, I lived so much of my life, and there again, it's, it's nothing, you know, this is nothing amazing or anything to brag about. It's just, this is what it is to be human. I lived much of my life not even realizing that what I believed was happening and who I believed that I, who I was, were really nothing more than thoughts. And that, that's what I really believed was reality. My, I really believed that my thoughts were reality. And it took a while to change the paradigm and to allow that shift in my consciousness to be able to, and this is available to anyone. And what I mean by that is we can just continue to keep coming back to center. In other words, I just, I don't have to think anything about it. I don't have to have any notions or beliefs about why I'm doing this practice. 
I just trust in the the fact that if I return back to being aware of what's going on in my mind, that a lot of this will begin to take shape on its own. That the only real responsibility that I really need to have is to just be aware of the thoughts, just to be aware that I'm thinking. And literally, as, as strange as it sounds, as simple as it sounds, it really does change the paradigm. And I have taught enough people and I have talked to enough people and spent time in this practice with enough people to know and be very confident about the fact that it does really change the paradigm. And that the more that I can become, and really all I'm doing is practicing becoming a more effective witness of my own thoughts. Now, this isn't about self-improvement. The idea is not for me to get better, so to speak, because then all of a sudden I'm in a competition and then all of a sudden I'm trying to do better than someone else. And, you know, I'm beating myself up when I don't meet my own goals that I set for myself. This is really a journey that really, I think, if at least for me, what's, what has worked best is to have no goals, to just really keep returning back in, you know, in the moment and being aware of what it is that I'm thinking about what I'm feeling. And I will say that it is not something that immediately makes us feel better. But what I do find is that if I'm not feeling good about life for whatever reason, it is much easier for me to, to sit with it and feel whatever I'm feeling if my thinking isn't out of control. And that's really the most important point I want to make about this today is that this can be so much worse. How if I'm, not, if I'm not feeling good about my life or about myself or any decisions I've made or any actions that I've taken or any choices that I've made, it's that what is done is done, so to speak. My mother used to always say that to me. She would always say, Jeffrey, what's done is done. And I I never used to really understand that, and I finally do. In other words, whatever it is that I've chosen to do or not do, that that has taken place. And while there are opportunities for me to rectify things, this isn't really what this is about. I do want to do those things, but at the end of the day, at some point, torturing myself mentally with believing all of these thoughts that I'm having because it's just a habit to have them and to believe them is something that I can actually change. I don't have to buy into that. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to try to force myself not to have these thoughts. I don't want to try to prevent them because the more I try to do that, the more I will have them because I'm just putting more energy and and investing more time in paying attention to them in a way that's actually causing them to continue to, to be a problem for me. Whereas if I am spending the time realizing that they're just thoughts. I don't have to believe them. I don't have to identify with them. They don't have to be my reality. I can loosen my grip on the need to take it all so seriously. And then I can begin to see and kind of play around with the room that opens up, the space that opens up when I can finally start to realize, okay, you know, I think it's bad. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, the old saying, I feel like I've heard so many people say this, it's not as bad as you think. And it's funny because I remember hearing that for many years. I never thought about the fact, and I don't know how many people really pay attention to or have noticed when you hear that saying or when you say that, it's not as bad as you think. The idea there is it's kind of a gem of wisdom. In other words, it's, you know, it's, it's bad in many cases because we think that it's bad. And I don't really need to, I'm not trying, I'm, this isn't really about positive thinking. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. 
but what I, for me, what I found is that I am however I am in any given moment. And if I'm feeling low, if I'm not feeling good about things, then I'm not feeling good about things. And that the more I try to trick myself into thinking I feel better about it, maybe it works for some people and, and I'm sure it does, but I've never, it's something that I've never found works for myself. So in the absence of really having some magical way to change my reality, <coughs> what I really want to do for me, the only thing that has worked is to just be in that reality, whatever it is. I don't have to believe what I'm thinking about it. Uh, most likely it's not really what I think that it is in a lot of cases. And that's one of the things that has really freed me up as well is that I don't have to get so caught up in my beliefs about it and what I think about it. It just is how I feel. And it, it doesn't have to be good or bad or positive or negative. Uh, sometimes it doesn't feel good to be, to be human for a lot of reasons. But what I'm finding is that really what, what I need to do, if anything, is to just find a way to be able to cope more effectively, to be able to realize that I can't chase these feelings away. And if I try to just deny them or divert myself with some sort of distraction, it's still going to be there when I return. Whenever I'm done experiencing whatever diversion it is or you know, getting high and trying to rise above it in terms of trying to prop myself up emotionally, is not really going to is not really going to help it will help temporarily but at some point and there's a lot of ways obviously of getting high and I'm not always speaking about substances I'm also talking about just distracting myself with something avoiding what it is that I'm really feeling and I found that the biggest surprise is that mindfulness practice has allowed me to be in whatever it is that I'm feeling and when I'm not having to spend so much energy and so much uh, of my mental resources thinking about what it is that I'm feeling, that I can just be in it and sit with it, it does pass. It generally always does. And it gives way to something lighter. And at some point, I do feel better about things. Things do feel lighter. And it's, it's, and it's, and it's really not, it, there's really no magic to that. It's just that if I can find a way to cope with these thoughts that I'm having and to be able to allow myself to be more level-headed and to be more uh, objective about what is going on and what I'm feeling, then I can still take care of my responsibilities. I still can do the work that I need to do. I still can be there for other people and do what I told them that I was going to do and discharge my responsibilities. I don't have to walk around and be completely consumed with how it is that I'm feeling because I'm engaging in a practice that allows me to cope. And the way that it allows me to cope is it just gives me the space to not believe everything that I'm, that I'm thinking about however it is that I'm feeling when life doesn't feel good, so to speak. And that's really what it comes down to. It's really, this is you know clearly kind of a, a big picture view of this, but I find that in some cases I want to go back and remind myself, what is the purpose of doing this? Why have I been doing this all these years? And really what it is facilitated is it's facilitated an increased ability for me to increased ability for me to cope. And while the clock is running on my life, I do want to enjoy what there is to enjoy. And I know that I am the one who can get in the way of that more than anyone. And so if I'd say anything at all, it is that, you know, this continuing to return back to this practice, to return back to center, 
to being aware of these thoughts allows me to really enjoy the time that I do have left.